Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, I want to talk about yachts. You sent me an article from The New Yorker, and it was all about the world of super yachts and mega yachts and giga yachts, and basically the lives of the super wealthy in our nation. And here's the best paragraph I read. In any case, an airplane is just transportation. A big ship is a floating manse with a hierarchy written right into the nomenclature. If it has a crew working aboard, it's a yacht. If it's more than 98 feet, it's a super yacht. After that, definitions are debated. But people generally agree that anything more than 230 feet is a mega yacht, and more than 295 is a giga yacht. The world contains about 5,400 super yachts and about 100 giga yachts. For the moment, a giga yacht is the most expensive item that our species has figured out how to own. And Don, this article just goes on to talk about the world of buying a yacht, building yachts, and then even living abroad on a yacht. What did you think about this article? I thought this article was great. I really, really enjoyed reading it. There's a portion of the article that talks about maybe my favorite paragraph, not the direct quote, but that everybody's got a good house and a pretty big house, but nobody wants to live in like this giant mansion thing with 10 servants because people just don't do that anymore. So you have a personal chef, I have a personal chef. You have a fancy car, I have a fancy car. You have a plane, I have a plane. But how do we differentiate ourselves? By having a gigantic yacht with 15 people working on it. And that's how we really show our wealth and power. It's a measuring contest for the ultra rich. And I think it's awesome. <laughs> it was something where you just couldn't stop reading because again, I am not super wealthy yet. I don't know if you became a billionaire this summer. Not yet. Uh, not yet. And therefore, to see this world where people are basically out in the ocean, and it seemed like yachts are just a place to hide your wealth, but also to stop having to act like you're not super wealthy. And it seems like now we're at a point where people kind of look down upon what you're showing off, and therefore your yacht is a way to be hidden and to do it. They said some of these giga yachts now are selling for $250 million a piece. And yet there's a waiting list of over 1,000 people looking to get yachts built. It was kind of insane just how big this world is. And as somebody who doesn't even own a canoe, I had no idea that, that there were, the yacht demand was like this. Oh, I had some idea. I remember being a little kid and we were down in Charleston, South Carolina, and we saw a yacht that was Malcolm Forbes yacht, which is actually mentioned in the article and how it was like the party yacht and the place to be in New York City in the 80s. And yeah, I was like, this thing is incredible. And there were good looking people working and like shining this or that on the board. And I was just fascinated. I was like, dad, do you think they'll let us on board? And he's like, no, they won't, boy. <laughs> I kind of wondered if, you know, nowadays, most people can find a way to either finance or afford something like a large SUV or iPhones or the latest kinds of TVs or technologies and even take nice trips. And therefore, it's really hard to kind of show off just how wealthy you are when so many things are affordable for so many. And I guess maybe is that a way to show progress is that the average middle-class person can find a way to, to access these things. And therefore, should we celebrate the idea that we're basically just down to yachts as a way to, to show off your wealth? 
I disagree with you entirely. We are not middle class. We are in the top 20 percentile. And that said, you're married to a teacher or educator, so am I. And we are towards the uh, meaty part of our career and the salary schedule. It's easy to think like, oh, we're a couple of teachers. We're middle class. We're in the top 20%. Average household income in America is still in the 60,000 range. So don't think middle class and think like what you and I are doing. Middle class people can barely afford a home in America today. We quickly compare ourselves to a group of people that is upper echelon. And the people we associate with are probably wealthier than us for the most part. And yeah, they can afford a $80,000 SUV. And okay, cool. Maybe they, uh, they go on really neat trips, but they're not yacht money and they're not close. So there's a fundamental skew in what people think actually who has what kind of money. I like that. It's not yacht money. Uh, all right. I stand corrected then by what you're saying, but I guess I just sort of haven't thought much about it. And one of the things that they just kept bringing about in this article is the super rich seem to find yachts as a way to get away from the rest of the world. And there's no paparazzis. There's no people with cell phones that can take pictures. There seems to be a fundamental rule of whatever happened on the yacht stays on the yacht. And therefore, it's just sort of this opaque world where the rich and powerful go and nobody quite knows what happened. They do a great job bringing up some sort of an anecdote of shortly after the Obama presidency, the Obamas and Oprah all went to some wealthy hedge fund guy's yacht to kind of hang out for a couple of days. And the Obamas, I don't really think one of those sorts of stories or, or photos shared because let's face it, hanging out with a super rich person's yacht doesn't exactly fit with maybe the party ideal of the image of who Obama was trying to speak for. Absolutely. And I think he was thinking, he was probably talking to these people all through his last four years, like, just wait, when I'm done, we'll go hang out. Because he is the coolest guy around. You know, he's, uh, he's wakeboarding out there. He hangs out with Jay-Z and Beyonce. He's got this beautiful, successful family. And he was the president. So He's like, okay, I'll, I'll do this. Now, now he can do his thing and he can be somewhat secretive on the yacht doing the yacht thing. And there was a portion of the article that talked about everybody's on the yacht for a reason. And they're there to peddle influence or to seek access. And it's very often business related, but there's everybody's there for a reason. And it's for the enjoyment or manipulation or whatever for the owner of the yacht or the offshore hedge fund that owns the yacht, but whatever. The point is that these people are here for reason and getting exclusive access. And I think people like it just like they like cruise ship. A lot of people love cruises. Well, imagine your cruise is private and everything is customized to you. And that's what having a private yacht is. It's the ultimate indulgency for the rich that have to share freeway lanes with us and have to... Uh, <laughs> deal with the things that we deal with much of the time but in the yacht it's a whole different world they said something like you know the crew might be 20 to 50 people and therefore due to regulations i think there's a certain number of people you're allowed to have on a yacht depending on its size and they said that like the level of personal service can sometimes go up to like 12 to 1 or something like that which is just something you can't even get at five star luxury hotels and they just said it's something that when you're this rich, you can afford it. Why not? And uh, I just, it was hard to like kind of take it back. I, I kept thinking about 
like the Gospels of Wealth. I believe that was the um, thing written by our industrial barons there. I think it was Carnegie, right, who sort of talked about, you know, the, the responsibility of the rich to, you know, sort of give back their wealth to society and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that some of these people that own super yachts aren't giving back some of their money, but it also just sort of made me wonder, uh, you know, where does this end? How, how big of a boat can you possibly keep making? And yet, it seems like it is definitely a competition. They talked about how the way to kind of insult somebody's yacht is to say that it looks like a wedding cake or basically just to kind of like make fun of somebody's length. Apparently LOA stands stands for length overall. Big way to um, sort of, I guess, make fun of people if they don't have a really good one. Oh, it's a measuring contest. And at one point in the article, the captain of a yacht takes the owner around to look at the other yachts in the harbor at Turks and Caicos or whatever. And the owner is just like, oh, take me back to my boat. I feel awful now because it's a constant measuring contest. Who has the most and the most shows the most power and the most wealth? Yeah, I think uh, you're never going to be the winner of this battle unless, unless you're Jeff Bezos or some Russian oligarch. But it is something to really, really show the wealth. The thing that I found fascinating was they cited a statistic where they talked about the horrific carbon footprint that a yacht has. Mm -hmm. And they said that one yacht burning its diesel fuel basically is the equivalent of 1500 cars on the road. And uh, that's something you don't think about is I'm sure some of these people on their yachts, there are, are big green promoters and want to help the environment. But I wonder if they have uh, considered their carbon footprint. Well, think about this. They're not usually on the yacht when it goes from place to place. They helicopter in and they helicopter in after they've flown in. So if the yacht's in Turks and Caicos, but then needs to be in Monaco for the Grand Prix, those boats going across the ocean, the owner's not even on it most of the time. The owner's flying into Monaco, then staying on the yacht. Now think about that carbon footprint. The plane's the least of it. You're moving these giant weighty things all over the world to show your uh, show your power and influence. And then in Monaco, I was reading, it talks about in Monaco, there's only a few parking spots for the biggest yachts. And they have the people, owners all want to have the prominent one where they can get the side view from the stands so everybody can see how wealthy they are. And they're going to be jockeying for that position. I mean, it's such a show of wealth and such a carbon footprint that's just unbelievably bad. They said that some of these ones are so big that they have to take artwork like rare works of art that these guys have been collecting and put them next to each bedroom just so that people don't get lost and know what bedroom they're looking for also so they don't walk in on other people they said some of the other amenities now is there are imax theaters on some of these yachts and even uh helicopter pads but also uh ski rooms where you get in your ski gear and then you helicopter to the top of a mountain to go skiing and then i think you come back I have to admit that might be kind of fun. Oh, that's my favorite part. I read that part and I was like, oh yeah, that's what I would love to do. I've never gone helicopter skiing, but I love to ski. Even if we won the billion dollar jackpot, I don't think we're at that level. No, I, I don't think we are. I think we would have spent too much in our yacht. And by the time we're there, we probably didn't leave enough for our helicopter room and stuff like that. That's Well, I sure. think we can rent. Like I've seen listed on the Wall Street Journal, there's a yacht that advertises and I think it's 300,000 a week for 12 adults. And I was like, well, that's out of range. But if we got 12 people, it's still out of range. But if we have 12 people that all have terminal cancer, it might be in range.
<laughs> well, if they were all 12 of our teacher friends, it's definitely not in range, but maybe we can find some better friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, well, the, I'm still for renting, even if I get the billion, I'm, I'm, I'm up for renting, but I do think it'd be very fun to uh, experience this just for a day. The thing is, is imagine, okay, so let's say we rented out a yacht for a day. Like, are we hitting up the IMAX right away? Or what, what are you going to do to try to like, I mean, get in uh, your money's worth here? I think you got to be seen. You got to go somewhere important so everybody can see you and you can wave to them and they can aspire to be near you. It's all peddling influence and so forth. So um, you got to uh, you got to see and be seen. You don't want to be inside watching a movie. You're right. So we have to go to a, some sort of, I guess, a, a harbor or something. But the problem is, is that no rich person is going to be impressed that you or I are on top of a yacht because we're renting it, right? We would need to like put our yacht in Lake Orion or something like that and, uh, and wave to people because then maybe they'd be impressed. I don't know, with our, uh, our balding, receding hairlines and uh, overall age, maybe they'll think we're Russian plutocrats. We can speak with an accent and uh, make all sorts of weird announcements. Well, that was what they said was kind of interesting is the, the yacht has also become the symbol of the oligarch or kind of the rogue rich guy from uh, a nation that's maybe not playing by all the correct international rules. We talked about the Russian oligarchs that have had some of their yachts confiscated because uh, all of a sudden the war with Ukraine and America is trying to crack down on them. They talked about how some of the rich have to be kind of careful about where are they sailing because you don't want to be too close to a nation that might have some major political issues with America because your yacht might be the first thing that gets seized. And while I guess I'm not really going to cry for any of these guys that might lose their yacht, it did seem like, I guess, an issue you got to be thinking about. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of complications here. We have friends, um, my parents' friends that sailed around the planet in their 50-foot sailboat. It's a boat, not a yacht, because they didn't have crew. But they would go into harbors and then see, like, oh, there's the real money. The people fly in to hang out on these boats. We're, we're actually captaining our boat around. And uh, But then they, in their circumnavigation, they had to be wary of pirates, and they had to be wary of uh, whatever situation could ensnare them. Um, so it is, it's a whole world. There's a whole world of people that travel around and sail from place to place and try to find the best place to hang out and get low cost food and whatever. There's YouTube channels, there's web pages, there's Twitter feeds and Instagram. I'm a little fascinated with this life. I don't think I'm going to lead it, but I'm really interested with it. Given the number of people that you have to employ to, to basically drive your yacht and navigate your yacht and, and then of course service all the people on the yacht. Do we have enough workers for yachts or is there a major shortage? I mean, piloting a yacht has got to be a, a skill. You got to know your oceans and, and how to like keep the boat going. I'm curious if like there's an international shortage now on captains and stuff like that. I would assume if you're a captain, are you just a gun for hire or are you loyal to whatever yacht you're going at? And I mean, do they go to the Navy and try to get ex-Navy uh, boat drivers and stuff like that? Uh, this was interesting, and I don't think it's as hard to become a captain as like having captained a aircraft carrier. You need to know have your captain's license, which is not that hard to get. Maybe you've done a ferry around New York City. You know how to get in and out of things. You know how to navigate complicated situations. And, but these people seem to be on the beck and call, and there's no like, I will be at home now. It is you're on the seas for whatever duration of the owner wants and going wherever the owner wants. You might not see your family if you have a family for a long time. So that was interesting. 
More interesting to me was the stories of the people that work on the boat. And apparently there's a show about these people, but the way you get the job is to be really good looking and put your picture on the resume and walk along the docks and hand it to the captains. And then you get hired to work on this boat and they pay you good money, but, and you don't have to pay living expenses, but you don't develop any skills. So after a few years here, these people, their looks may start to fade and they're 28. They're looking for another job that pays good money. And what skills do you have? Well, I can clean a toilet with a toothbrush. I can get the last piece of dirt off of that uh, stair step. I mean, they don't have any skills because they've just been maintaining these boats in the most meticulous manner for the owners. And it's just a bizarre world. They said, I think you can make maybe $50,000 in a summer if you get the right employer and, and the right sorts of gigs and stuff like that. It sounds like a weird world in that it sounds like it can be abusive. It sounds like maybe you're being taken advantage of. It sounds like you got to really pick the right rich person because some of them can downright berate you over everything. And then some of them are like, maybe cool and stuff like that. So I guess anybody out there choose wisely. But then they also said that a lot of people stop doing the job, as you said, they come out and then they're also not used to just paying for like room and board and like real world expenses and stuff like that. And now you have to find a job that keeps you up to that standard. It's a whole different gig. It also seems miserable. You're just trapped with the same people, maybe below deck for a long time doing tedious work. I don't think it's a lifestyle I would thrive in. Now, you are a boat guy, though. Every once in a while, you've talked about a dream of owning a boat and uh, kind of sailing around the Caribbean or maybe further. Has this made you think about maybe getting a small yacht? Not, not, not a giga yacht, but maybe just a, a small one. Uh, when my kids are going to graduate high school and be gone off doing something, I've already made plans to buy a small sailboat, learn to sail. I would love to do bigger trips and cool things. Um, my wife is coming around to the idea, which is a little bit shocking. My parents did this briefly. Um, I don't know how what the reality is like and whether or not it's as fun as I think it's going to be. But I really like the idea of traveling around places and seeing things from the water and visiting places on the boat as almost more of a vehicle to get to cool places rather than the you know, boat is the destination in itself. I mean, doesn't that sound good, Zach? You know, you start, I don't want to sit at Margaritaville all, all <laughs> winter in Florida, but if I could start in the Keys and then go visit 16 places around the Caribbean and stay at each for a couple of days and explore and visit, that sounds like fun. The yacht's just the vehicle rather than, and the destinations are the cool places. That is desirable to me, but that's quite a bit off. The only thing I can't get over is seasickness and those boats going up and down. I once uh, got to be on a boat for three days in Lake Huron and it was choppy water and seasickness is rough. I mean, you, you really are become kind of incapacitated. And I guess I'm curious if are these yachts big enough that you just don't even feel it. But at the same time, if you're out in that open ocean, I got to assume you're still getting sick. Well, first of all, I think the owners are mostly on the boats in the harbor while they're just, you know, being seen and so forth. That's Secondly, key. they do have stabilizers. So there's fins that come out on the side of the yacht that act like airplane wings and they counteract the tipping back and forth to make it more smooth. Those aren't used in the roughest of weather, but that's what cruise ships do as well to try to keep it as moderated as possible. On your smaller boats, yeah, it bounces around a lot and some people do get seasick. I don't get seasick on a whaling whale watching tour in uh, Bar Harbor, Maine. And we watched people get seasick to the 10th degree. It was absolutely incredibly 
Battle of Barfs was just incredible. It was just uh, unbelievable. Oh. But uh, we saw whales. It was great. And it was a fun time. Nobody in my family got sick, but we did watch, witness those people that got violently ill. And uh, ugh, looks rough. I, uh, I, I once ate uh, a, a large ice cream cone of Superman ice cream before I got on that boat uh, on Lake Huron. And five or six hours in, I literally saw a rainbow of vomit come out of me, Don. And it was uh, something that I'd never really thought I'd ever see. How old were you when you ate the Superman ice cream? I was in college. I was on this like land sea program <laughs> and we were living out in the middle of Canada for like three weeks straight. So we hadn't had like any just like processed, amazing sugary food in like weeks. And so we all stopped at this ice cream store. And of course I got like a baseball bat size of Superman, <laughs> wolf it down. And then we were told to get on this boat for three days. And six hours later, I just was over the side and oh my God, I, but it was like a perfect rainbow of, of pink and yellow and blue. And um, it, it was something to be seen, but I just, uh, I don't, ever since then, I've always wondered if I could just be yacht guy. And, you know, if I'm eating some of your chips and salsa, I want to keep it down. <laughs> oh, I, I have never ordered Superman ice cream, but I love the idea of a 21 year old Zach eating Superman ice cream and tossing it all up. Uh, no, I, I don't know if that's something you can overcome. I don't get seasick. It doesn't bother me or my wife or kids or my parents. So uh, I empathize with you. That's got to be rough. <laughs> the other thing I kind of took away from this article is, again, just the idea of extreme wealth. And I couldn't decide how I felt about this. They said since 1990, billionaires across the world have gone from 66 to 700. When you hear that kind of a number, does that to you say, well, we're making progress. We have more people that have the ability to become billionaires. That's great. Maybe you and I can fulfill our dreams someday. Or do you say wealth disparity and the rules for the wealthy have just become so extreme that it's just such an elite class of people that will never make it? Well, the owners of capital are the ones that are just gaining value, owning something. And that's what it's all about. And the owners are fewer and far between. But there has been, maybe we could look at it this way. It was only 60 people had access to tremendous wealth. Now it's 700. We have a bigger, more diverse group of billionaires. We have people in their 20s that are billionaires from crypto or creating a website or an app or something. And there's more of them. Now, that means that there's, pro there's a lot less money in the hands of the majority of people. And that's sad and frustrating. But I guess it's not all that surprising. Ownerships become king. If you own a resource or if you own a website, it doesn't even need to be a physical thing. You don't have to own steel mills anymore. You don't have to control railroads to become a billionaire. You just got to make an app that everybody likes and get it structured correctly and get, uh, and get venture money. I mean, that's how quick it is. And it's more accessible to become a billionaire than ever before doesn't have to be handed down from your parents. You can earn it on your own through your unique thing or whatever. Maybe one of our kids will be billionaires and take us along with them. We should talk. start talking about their app idea. Yeah, start showing them what they should be shooting for, which is that helicopter uh, ski room to get ready for. That's what, that's what we need. Hey, TikTok, they got to create their own some sort of thing like TikTok. It's very addictive and very valuable, and people spend a lot of time on it. All you got to do is come up with a silly idea like that. I think the thing I would like to know is of these 700 billionaires that we have in the world, 
Where did all of them start out? Did they start out in a family of privilege, therefore high income, or parents were already wealthy industrialists or wealthy owners of capital? Or did a lot of them, are they, are they self-made, if you, were, if, if you know what I mean? And I guess maybe that would be a way to kind of get a sense of if there's hope for, uh, for many, or is this just, a, again, an exclusive club in the smokiest of uh, smoke-filled rooms? Well, what I'm trying to say, I think, is it's different from you're inheriting your wealth from the other Vanderbilts or the other Morgans. You're likely to be somebody that comes from privilege in that you have highly educated parents in a fairly good, wealthy area, and they give you opportunities and you capitalize on that. I'm thinking of your Bill Gates, whose parents weren't mega wealthy, but they were well off and had him in a good school and a good area, and he had lots of opportunities. Same with Steve Jobs. Same with so many other people. Their parents aren't billionaires. Their parents just put them in a situation where there would be a higher ceiling for their opportunities. And so that's what they've capitalized on. And good for them. They develop something, some stupid idea, and it's worked out. Or if you're Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, you've created massive companies that have slowly become tremendously valuable. That's a really good point. That's a very good point. Uh, Loving parents that, you know, try to give you opportunities. Maybe that's sometimes all you need. And you know, nowadays it does seem like there's more options and ways that people can try to make a fortune. One of the things they just talked about was how a lot of these billionaires are now becoming younger and younger. And therefore, a lot of them like these yachts so they can kind of live anywhere, travel anywhere and work from anywhere, which I also just kind of thought was a different outlook. Well, they can control the situation and through the internet, they can be wherever they want to be. And whether that's fleeing the uh, enforcement of sanctions on Russia as a Russian plutocrat might, or just, you know, wherever Sergey and Larry are doing their Google thing from afar. I mean, it's possible. One of the quotes I wanted to read you sort of talked about maybe the sinister way to look at owning a yacht. And maybe what does it mean when so many of these wealthy people own yachts and kind of use them in the way that they're being used? And I wanted to read it. It says, The yachts tell a whole story about a Faustian capitalism, this idea that we're ready to sell democracy for short-term profit. They're registered offshore. They use every loophole that we've put in place for illicit money and tax havens. So they play a role in this battle writ large between autocracy and democracy. Much of the time, super yachts dwell beyond the reach of ordinary law enforcement. They cruise in international waters, and when they dock, local cops tend to give them a wide berth. The boats often have private security, and their owners may be well with friends of the prime minister. According to leaked documents known as the Paradise Papers, handlers propose that the Saudi crown prince take delivery of a $420 million yacht in international waters in the Western Mediterranean where the sale could avoid taxes. And Don, it does seem to kind of point in the article about this very opaque world of if you want to basically skirt all the rules and all the laws own a yacht and do a lot of business and, and, you know, transactions in places where nobody can really monitor them. Yeah. Well, not only are, do these people have the lawyers and the accountants that can find all these loopholes, but they also have influence with the people that create the loopholes or, but they're implicitly or explicitly allow them to get away with it. Remember Florida tried to put a big tax on yachts and it destroyed all the yacht dealers because people simply bought their yachts in the Bahamas. It's a yacht. It can get from Bahamas to Florida. Why am I going to buy it in Florida when I could buy it in Bahamas for less money? And so, yeah, the fluid nature of it makes it really, really hard to pin down in tax. 
that said, I mean, people are making these yachts. They're making good money. I mean, whoever's building the cabinets or whatnot is being paid well to do all this work. It's a very skilled labor and it's a shortage of workers to, that can do that and want to do that. So they're paying money and they're creating jobs. They're just not paying taxes. But no surprise, billionaires aren't paying taxes. It just seems like, I don't know, maybe if you're a rich guy, do you need to now start promoting like this deal was not done on a yacht? Maybe that would be a way to earn my trust back. I don't think you want to draw any attention to that whatsoever. So Bezos is making this giant yacht and it's being made in Amsterdam. And he got into a huge battle with, uh, with the people there because he wanted to take down a bridge to get his yacht out <laughs> after it was built. That's amazing. And they've since, he's since backed off his request to move this bridge, which by the way, hasn't been used since many years because it's been replaced. It's just there as like a artifact of pre-World War II. But they, they, he withdrew his request because the people were going to line the shores and throw tomatoes at his yacht. And so now they're going to put the masts on outside the harbor. Whatever. The point is that these people are making these things. They're doing it for a reason. I don't think Jeff's hiding the fact that he has this yacht, although it's explicitly not his. But it, everybody knows it's his. And they want to be known. I don't think they want to be invisible. It's also not the people that have these yachts are not real big political figures. They don't need to convince you that they're good people. Like, really, they're just the billionaire they are. But it just sort of gives them, I guess, a space and a place to sort of operate without the eyes of everybody on them. And I guess you could say, hey, they, they deserve that privacy, right? They deserve the right to operate wherever but it just seems like maybe they are operating sometimes outside that law, which I think is interesting. Maybe does this explain why some of these billionaires want their own space companies? Because they want to you know, be able to sort of travel in other areas that just sort of are unregulated, can't quite be touched. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and they just want to be all alone, want to be left alone. And it's increasingly hard for them to be left alone. I imagine with paparazzi and stuff like that. I mean, privacy seems to be important, right? I think so. And especially for these people, again, what happens on the yacht stays on the yacht. But I think in some ways it kind of does lend a little bit to that sort of general conspiracy theory of there is this global elite that all sort of uh, meet together and, and kind of align over whatever views they have. And we don't know a whole lot about it. And when you kind of read about the ways that people are traveling to and from people's yachts, as you said, nobody gets invited to a yacht without a purpose, right? And they usually want information of whatever it is you can give. And it just seems like it's kind of an interesting secretive world that I guess it's almost hard to comprehend just given how wealthy it is. So Larry Elson, the owner of Oracle, has a yacht, huge 280-foot yacht with a basketball hoop on the back of it. And Larry likes to relax by shooting hoops. Really? Well, oh, yes. Well, Sometimes he misses, and when it bounces off overboard, then there's a speedboat that follows the yacht that picks up the rebounds. <laughs> You're lying. Nope, Wall Street Journal article. Um, we can put it in the show notes. And <laughs> what's better for the environment, to let the re balls just go off and be pollution in the ocean or pay for the gas for the speedboat to follow it around? Well, better yet, just play basketball on land. But whatever, it happens. So do you think that it's, it's an ostentatious display of wealth and whatnot? Are people not going to use Oracle products? 
I, I no, they're going to keep using Oracle products. If they I don't need even them. know what, I don't know if I've ever paid for an Oracle product. I'm sure I've used Oracle products, but I've not explicitly given money to Oracle because it's a giant tech company that runs through every other tech company. And so I don't really know if I'm using Oracle or giving Oracle money. I'm sure somehow I am implicitly, but I'm not making it a choice that say like, I will never use Oracle because Larry Elson has this crazy yacht with the speedboat that gets the rebounds. <laughs> I, the first thing I thought was, why doesn't he just own a hundred basketballs? Because like, you know, the rich, it used to be the rich tycoon would, would take out his driver and hit golf balls into the water. Right. Yeah. But the people like basketball, I got to imagine uh, Mark Cuban's probably got a basketball hoop on the back of his boat. He probably shoots some hoops there too. He's not bad. Couldn't um, like he take, I don't know, like, like the, the cases of wine, that he's uh, probably bringing onto his yacht and then just take the cardboard boxes and, and like line the outside of his boat so that the ball just doesn't bounce over it. Yeah, but that wouldn't look good. I mean, hey, you got 15 people working on the boat. Tell somebody to get in the speedboat and go back and pick up my rebounds. That's all good. I wonder what speedboat guy gets to, to go get the basketballs. I mean, that's, just, that's it's got to be an, a unique skill. You got to probably stay out of the wake of the yacht, right? You got to catch back up. Does Larry wait for the ball to return before he shoots again? Or does he have a, does he use a second ball while the other ball is being retrieved? Yeah. I, uh, I, I imagine you got to have a, um, you got to have a few balls. You got to have a few balls. I mean, like one time my daughter and I were shooting in our backyard and the ball took a weird bounce and bounced onto the grass off our cement into the neighbor's yard. And the neighbor boy next door, like got the ball and threw it to us. And I was like, Hey, thank you so much. And I really was, I, you know, it's always, I always feel awkward when someone does like some weird task for you. And so I was really thanking him. Does Larry have to thank the employee for going and getting that basketball or does he just expect it there? I don't think you ever have to thank anybody that works on the yacht. I think you may do so, but I'm sure this is one of those rules where you can't look them in the eye, no eye contact, stuff like that. Would you allow your employees to get, make eye contact with you? Oh, yeah, I don't care. I'd only hire cool people, interesting people. Like, all right, cool. I'm going to hire ex-fast uh, ex runners and elite swimmers and uh, just people that have interesting skills to hang out with and just chat. It's weird because when I lived in Egypt, I was invited over to, to somebody's home and they had a 10-year-old girl serving us and she was from a very poor village and she was just kind of their in-house servant you know it, it was the most awkward thing to, to have water brought to you by a 10 year old girl kind of thing and it wasn't like it was a member of the family she was an employee and I remember like just overly thanking this kid because I felt so awkward about the whole thing and the family was like you don't need to thank her we pay her it's just such a different mindset and not that her job and, and basketball retriever on the boat's job is the same, but I, I don't know. I, I think I'd be really bad at having human servants. <laughs> yeah. I imagine. So like, Hey, you say thank you at a restaurant. So the employees, of the restaurant will be nice to you and give you more stuff. Or uh, do you say thank you to the people at a restaurant that serve you just because you're supposed to, or just courteous. I mean, it is what it is. When people do something for you, it's nice to say thanks. It's nice. People like to be treated as humans. Maybe you get a better service. Whenever anybody comes to my house to deliver, to uh, drop off something or fix something, I'm like, hey, you want a bottle of water or anything I can help you with? Just try to be cur cur courteous and nice to other people, just like we like to be treated that way. But uh, I don't know if that extends. When you pay them more, you can probably treat them worse. I like your sentence there. People like to be treated like a human.
There was an article I read about uh, flight attendants, and that's the one thing they requested was, please treat us like humans. Don't touch us. Just make eye contact, nod, talk to us. Like, just don't ignore us altogether or touch us. Like, oh, yeah, I'd imagine that'd be nice to be treated as a human. I'm often treated as a human, and I appreciate it. Well, well, speaking of humans and just sort of, uh, I guess, figuring out if you're wealthy or not, they said that one of the problems now is they'll have an annual yacht show down in Florida where they're looking for prospective buyers. And they said that in America, it's becoming really hard to detect who's wealthy. Here's just this paragraph from the article. It said, on the docks, brokers parse the crowd according to a taxonomy of potential. Guests asking for tours face a gauntlet of greeters trained to distinguish super rich clients from ineligible visitors. And it goes on just to talk about how I think Americans are all kind of dressing more the same or the Silicon Valley, everybody wears cargo shorts and a hoodies. And therefore, it's really hard to find out like who's just there to like gawk and who's there to buy. Have you uh, ever encountered this issue, Don? No, I have not, but I imagine it's got to be challenging. You could have some new tech entrepreneur type person that has real money and you could not let them on. That would be a big faux pas and give up a previous sale. Yeah, I, I've never been mistaken for extremely wealthy. I, I usually feel out of place when I'm walking around with my flip-flops at uh, your favorite borough, Harbor Springs. I really don't think they want me there. They probably don't. But at the same time, they're going to have a hard time kicking you out. And again, this kind of goes back to that idea of a lot of Americans can find a way to afford or finance an SUV or an iPhone is a lot of Americans can find a way to kind of wear the same clothes. I mean, there are brands that definitely try to, you know, say something about you, but they said Europeans are still good at wearing things to identify their super wealth. And in America, I wonder, do you think we're still uncomfortable with the idea that Maybe we are super wealthy and so different from the others. Usually, you know, Warren Buffett loves to kind of live on those stories of like, still likes to eat at McDonald's, right? Still living in the same house he owned in 1954. And I do think like, there's something unique about America where we all want to still see ourselves as middle class. Not that we are, but that a lot of people still want to try to be humble about their wealth in strange ways. And I wonder if the yacht is something that just is so unseen and allows people to kind of still pretend like they're 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 one like everybody else oh absolutely nobody thinks wants to think they're wealthy everybody wants to think they're middle class even you ask wealthy people like no no we're not wealthy the real money's over there and like yeah it's people want to seem that way uh now and also they don't want to be seen as trash and they want to convince everybody they're more money than not so it is a bizarre world i can't imagine have this job of determining who's wealthy or not i'm in general quite bad at this kid in my class came up to me he's like hey you see that kid in the back i was like yeah i know him he goes he's got a forty thousand dollar watch on i was like okay i didn't notice i, I does it tell time like I, I i'm just not good at this I, I don't really care to know i would be terrible at this i have no idea what the brands are that signify something but at the same time i think there are people in fact one of the things they mentioned in the article is there's a guy who's specially trained to use binoculars and judge people by the kind of watches that they're wearing to then try to <laughs> figure out if that's a potential customer cuz let's face it you and i go to yacht show and and we're just wasting people's time yes absolutely we would not be worth the time However, our kids may be. I used to take my kids up to uh, Bass Pro Shops and they'd play on the boats. And uh, so I'd tell the sales guy, he'd come over and talk to me. I'd be like, I'm not buying one. He's like, 
that's right. These guys are future customers right here. I was like, all right, right on. Yeah, they, he was cool with us being there. But uh, I think that aspirational part really brings uh, fuel to the fire and increase and probably people tweet about and send messages about these cool yachts, which increases their popularity. So it's worth it to let everybody on, right? You're a good dad, Don. I remember uh, a year ago, you told me that you took your kids on a, a, a test drive of a Tesla. You're really doing a good job in the aspirational wealth department. I couldn't get this done, but you could get this done, son. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to kill time with little kids. You know how that is. Like, how? what can we do to keep people uh, going until nap time? But at the same time, yeah, they want to check it out. Cool. Let's go check it out. I, I'm fine with telling the salesperson, like, no, I'm not actually buying. I'm just curious. The kids are just curious. Like, all right, fair enough. Thank you for being straightforward with me. Whatever. Once got a uh, uh, offer from Lexus. So I test drive a Lexus. They're going to give me a $50. And I was like, okay, I don't know what told you that I'm the right person for this, but okay. So I went on a <laughs> Tuesday morning in the summer to test drive a Lexus. I told the salesman right away, I am not here to buy a Lexus. I'm here for 50 bucks. So I came here on a Tuesday morning. So that wouldn't take away a previous, a sale from you. Uh, I just want to drive this thing, get my 50 bucks. And he's like, Okay, cool. And we drove a car and I was like, how much is this? He's like, it's $100,000. I was like, I'm going to take a U-turn right now and bring it back. There's no reason for me to ever drive a $100,000 car. And it'd probably be the same way at the yacht show. Like, look, I don't want to take your time, but we're kind of curious about the boat. So uh, it is what it is. I just want to be clear because I empathize with you as a salesman more than as a potential owner. Do you recall if the Lexus had large cup holders? Like, could I get my double big gulp in there? Or was it only like kind of, you know, small Starbucks size cups it would take? I remember trying not to put my fingers on anything that would create mess or havoc <laughs> on this uh, LX5600 giant SUV thing. Like, no, no, I, there's, there's no reason for me to ever drive this thing. But hey, 50 bucks. I got 50 bucks. I got nothing going on a Tuesday morning this summer. I'll do it. The natural oils from your hand have already stained the steering wheel. They had to replace it after you got out. Yeah, the low class uh, <laughs> Irish immigrant DNA is all over that thing. Like, ugh, yuck. <laughs> I don't know. It was a fascinating article. Of course, we will post uh, links in our show notes. And I'll try to, it looks like Don's already sent me a link to uh, the guy that gets the basketball. So we'll put that up there as well. Highly recommend read this article on a lot of levels. Oh, very interesting stuff. I mean, there's the fame aspect. Everybody loves the famous and rich people, but there's also just the behind the scenes. There's so many people to empathize with the workers, the captains, the uh, people dealing with the yacht people. It just seems a lot of people placating to a few very, very wealthy. I feel like we're going to have to stop making smoke-filled rooms jokes and now kind of switch it to the yacht. It was done on the yacht because I feel like that's now where it's all happening. Yeah, because if somebody has you out to the yacht and gives you a week of fun with your family, it's hard to say no to them for any deal. You pretty much have to agree. That's the business case for the yacht. Hamilton, they had that song, The Room Where It Happens, and I think they should just change it to the yacht. The yacht where it happens. Yeah. Or just call the the golf course where it happens at the Masters at wherever. No, I think it happens on the yacht as you're flying on the helicopter to the golf course. Oh, there you go. Or the ski hill. Or the ski hill. Or both. You probably did both in the same day. Living the dream. And you got to go watch an IMAX at the end. That's a pretty good day. (laughs) Finish out with Top Gun Maverick. That would be interesting is do these guys... Can they get Top Gun played for themselves on their yacht? 
like while it's supposed to be still in the in the theater they're not like you know watching the 1981 on vhs i'm certain not in many years (laughs) well don it's been a pleasure talking with you this week absolutely forward to talking with you next week have a good one take care